In the next 10 minutes, I will tell you the story of my 42-year trip to suicide hell. Next week, I will share the incredible 37 years of coming back to life. Welcome to the story of our shared journey, Love Always Wins. My name is David Hazen. I am recovering from a wounded victim identity, which has led me to isolate myself from participating fully in society. And after many years of struggle, I've committed myself to healing the culture of separation and violence. I'm here to collaborate with you on a journey to connection and belonging that is barely imaginable. Even though the breathwork of rebirthing has not been accepted by conventional therapists, I have found it to be one of the most powerful forms of therapy I've ever experienced, far more efficient than talk therapy. It has jump-started my growth as a human being three times in my life, pushing me through passages of grief where I did not want to go, yet needed to go for the wisdom it gave me. My first rebirthing gave me the memory of being held upside down and spanked immediately after my birth, as well as the endless hours of isolation in a neonatal ward. It was that early in my life that I decided to distrust and fear other people. It has become general knowledge now that adverse childhood experiences are predictors of physical, mental, and emotional problems later in life, and this pattern fits for me. I had a grandfather who was a binge alcoholic, and although his son, my father, rarely drank alcohol, he had all the behavioral characteristics of an alcoholic. He was a rageaholic and a workaholic, rigid, authoritarian, and physically, mentally abusive. I repeatedly failed to live up to his expectations, and I was terrified of his hot temper and his belt. My mother was submissive and dependent on my father for her sense of well-being. As a third child, I was pretty much left to my own devices and learned to protect myself by isolating, literally hiding in closets or under the bed. When I was 14, my father died. Many years later, I understood I had to put a protective armor around my heart to subdue my overwhelming feelings of rage, grief, guilt, and shame for wanting to kill him. I became suicidally depressed. In the 1960s, a naive psychotherapist I was seeing for depression advised me to get drunk in order to loosen up a bit. My first dive into alcohol soon after that could have stopped my heart because I overdid it big time but I had inherited a genetic high tolerance for it and survived. I swore I would never do that again, just like I vowed I would never be like my father, yet that is exactly what followed. I discovered how alcohol could not only numb my emotional pain, it could also prevent me from acting out on the people around me. I could hide myself in a bottle. 
my hope for a conventional middle-class lifestyle faded away. My college education did not lead me to employment and a career. My first marriage to the daughter of an alcoholic ended in divorce. We simply could not get past putting each other down. I had become an arrogant, emotionally abusive workaholic, eking out a living as a self-employed craftsman, which was more like self-unemployment. My self-esteem was in the pits. Every time I saw a movie hero racing to rescue someone in distress, I would suddenly burst into tears because I was so desperate to be rescued from my own life's predicament. Following that divorce, I began a regular use of marijuana, psychedelics, and alcohol to numb my pain. I began a period of searching for home and family, moving from place to place on the West Coast. I failed to keep my joint custody agreements for our son, a type of abandonment that piled on more shame and guilt. I joined a spiritual cult that promised enlightenment without the use of drugs. It's no surprise that others in this cult were, like myself, addicted. Between meditations, we practiced the partying and sexual promiscuity of a drug subculture. More shame and guilt. I became callous, cynical, misanthropic, and bitter. Every holiday season, I would have suicidal thoughts. I smoked pot all day, every day on a bong and drank several chin doubles at night to get to sleep. For all that I consumed, I never got high or drunk. I only avoided feeling miserable. My memory was slipping. My heart was skipping beats. I had constant sinus problems, bursitis, hemorrhoids, and clumsiness. I accidentally cut myself instead of the vegetables. As I entered the final stages of my chemical dependency, I married again. During the wedding, I got high on mushrooms and drunk on champagne because I was terrified of another loss of relationship. I refused to admit I was powerless to prevent that from happening. I was at the same time exploding in verbal and physical abuse. After a few years of chaos, my wife told me to get treatment or she would be gone. I was terrified of the prospect of a life without chemicals. In 1985, my primary care physician sloughed off my confession of smoking 22 bong hits per day with whatever it takes to get through the night advice that today would be considered medical malpractice. I tried quitting on my own and made it about 10 days before I curled up into a ball of self-directed anger. I thought if I could solve my anger problem, the pot smoking would just go away on its own, but no therapist would even talk to me if drugs were involved. What finally propelled me into treatment was my son's throat becoming so swollen that he needed a tracheotomy to breathe. I became so ashamed and guilty for not being a real father to him that I was thinking about driving very fast into something very solid like a bridge abutment. I couldn't do it.
I gave the keys to my wife. At three o'clock the next morning, I walked the 18 blocks to treatment after 22 years of using. Even though I felt like I was leaping off a cliff, I was more terrified of losing my son than I was of treatment. If you would appreciate the leisure of following my story in more detail, you may download a free PDF of my book, Love Always Wins, from lovealwayswins.us. If you have any comments or questions, email me at lovealwayswins.us at gmail.com. Look in the show notes for that address. Next week, I will talk about surviving the terror of early recovery and learning to forgive myself, my parents, and my entire culture for all the adversity that comes with being a human being. Until then, as a reminder to both me and you, let's pay attention to our breathing and keep it gentle. I love you.